Well, good morning, Aletheia Church. Uh, I am really sad that we can't get together this morning, but the weather uh, is not cooperating with us this morning. So uh, I'm still excited that we were able to do this and gather uh, in our homes this morning and gather digitally. Um, You can go ahead and open your Bible up to 1 Timothy or your scripture journal. Uh, We're giving away scripture journals for our study in 1 Timothy, just like we did in the book of Acts. And so if you haven't gotten one yet, make sure you grab one when we start gathering together again next week in person, weather permitting. Uh, Last week, I spent some time uh, introducing us to this letter uh, titled 1 Timothy, uh, really just trying to let us know what this letter is all about and why we are studying it in the first place. And what we see uh, is Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, encouraging him on his leadership and how the church at Ephesus should operate. And so we said that we've titled our series, Studying This Book Together, uh, Instructions to a Young Church. Paul is writing to encourage Timothy and his leadership, to encourage the church at Ephesus uh, to be faithful in the midst of a plurality of religions, philosophies, and worldviews, and how they can be a faithful witness to what Jesus Christ has done. I said that Timothy's uh, situation was unique, that he was uh, more than likely fatherless. And while being fatherless, he also experienced being an outcast in the very community that he was raised in because he had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. We saw that Timothy was young and unsure of himself. We also saw that he was uh, given the task of dealing with false teachers in a city that he was not from and dealing with a young church that was unsure of what they were supposed to believe and the way that they were supposed to live. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage and give advice on how Timothy might lead the church forward in all of the different issues that are plaguing it. And last week, we said in particular that the first thing we see in those first 11 verses is a charge and a correction. He says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. One of the main things that was plaguing this church is that there were people uh, arguing amongst themselves inside this church about myths, genealogies, conspiracy theories, and a number of other different things, primarily the application of the Old Testament law. And Paul says, I charge you to not allow certain people to teach any of these doctrines that are different than the ones that I taught while I was in Ephesus. And after you tell them that they are not allowed to teach, I want you to correct them. I want you to teach them the proper relationship of the law to the believer. And I want you to show them that the law is good, but that you must encourage them to apply it properly in their lives. And so this morning, as we move into verse 12, the text is going to appear to shift from instructions and encouragement to Timothy on how to lead through these false teachers and how to fight for sound doctrine to Paul sharing his testimony of how he became a follower of Jesus. But I want you to remember this. Remember Paul. Remember that he was a Pharisee 
that he was a teacher of the law, that he was anti-Christian, and that he experiences this radical shift and transformation in his life in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. And that experience took him from a persecutor of the church to a church planner and pastor, from an enemy of the church to a leader inside of the church. And Paul is going to be sharing his testimony here with Timothy to remind him, if I can be converted and brought into line with God's word, anybody can. Timothy, I want to encourage you that as you remain faithful to the calling that God has placed on your life, it is going to be difficult that people are going to persecute you and push back the same way that I did, but remain faithful because God can do anything. Paul's verses this morning that we look at are a celebration of God's grace in everyone's lives, that God can radically transform any life. That in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, anyone can be made right with God and brought back to him. As we celebrate that, and we see that in Paul's life, we are thankful and we bring the proper glory, honor, and attention to God that he deserves. So there are three things that I want us to see in our text this morning that Paul lays out to us about his testimony and what God has done in his life. And, and here are those three things. Number one, Jesus gives us undeserved grace. That all that we receive from him is his love and mercy toward us and there is nothing that we do to earn it. Number two, Jesus gives us lavish grace. I mean, that he gives us more mercy and faithfulness than we could ever fully receive and use for our benefit. And number three, that Jesus's grace is our example to then live out towards others. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And let's see that first point that Paul's gonna make, that Jesus gives undeserved grace. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. So, so take a second there and, and look at those two verses and, and look at what Paul is really saying. Look at what he is uh, displaying for Timothy as he writes here. He, he's showing gratitude. Right? He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Right? He, he says to, to Timothy, I, when I think about my testimony, all I can do is just take a step back and show my gratitude to Jesus for what he's done for me. That when I, when I reflect on my life, 
and I reflect on what God has done in my life, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for Jesus because of what he has done for me. Right? He says that, that Jesus, through his grace, has given Paul strength, that Jesus judged him faithful, and that Jesus appointed him to service. Right? But think, think about that for a second. Right? He says that, that Jesus has given me strength, right? that he allowed me to see the reality of who I really was and to turn away from that life and turn towards a new life. He says that God judged him faithful. Now, he's gonna go on to say in just a moment all the ways that he is not faithful. But as he reflects on God's grace in his life, he says, because of Jesus, because of the life of Jesus Christ, I am judged faithful before God. And then he goes on to say that Jesus has appointed him to service. He says, I've been chosen and empowered to be a pastor and a church planner. And all of this is not because of anything I have done, and I don't get to take any credit for it, but because of what Jesus has done in my life. Right, Paul's sharing this important point to Timothy and to anybody who would aspire to leadership in the church or to anyone that would seek to live a life of faithfulness to God, that when you reflect on your life, when you reflect on your ministry, when you reflect on what God is doing in your life, the primary emotion that should be stirred up in your heart is one of gratitude because of all that God has done in your life because that grace is undeserved. That there is nothing that we do to earn God's favor and mercy towards us. And because of that, in that gratitude, God gets all the glory. He gets all the attention. He gets all the love. He gets all the affirmation and praise because he is worthy. If you are a Christian listening this morning, a professing follower of Jesus and a disciple of his, I need to let you know something that, that scriptures teach us. Consistently throughout the Bible, we see this. God is the one who is responsible for your salvation and for mine. God is the one responsible for saving us, not you, not me. This doesn't mean that you don't have a free will or that you live life as a robot and everything that you do is some pre predetermined uh, plan where you don't have any say in what's going on, that you have uh, no ability to choose things. That's, that's not the, the proper understanding of the sovereignty of God. But what it does mean is that apart from God's merciful and undeserved grace on our lives, none of us would follow him. None of us would turn to him. None of us would repent and follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Paul makes this clear throughout the scriptures, and he makes that point even here again to Timothy. If you know anything about Paul, think, think about his life for a minute. Think about how he was a Pharisee who knew scriptures, who persecuted Christians. 
He was a successful teacher and leader. He had power and clout. But when he teaches here what transformed him, he doesn't recognize any of those things that he had done in his own life. He recognizes one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Paul credits the one person who was worthy of his salvation and transformation, and that is Jesus. And this is good news. I I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus in college, and then as I studied the scriptures, and I I studied more and more, and as I studied it, I, I started to learn this truth that God was the reason that I was saved, that Jesus was the reason that I was saved, that God had called me and drawn me to himself. And if I'm perfectly honest, as I would study with that, my, my own heart pushed back against that. That it was difficult for me to say, wait a minute, you mean, you mean that I'm not the reason why God saved me? You mean I'm not the reason that, that Jesus chose me and rescued me? But the, the longer I've studied the Bible, the longer I've studied this truth that Paul shares here with Timothy, the more I am convinced that it is good news that I am not the reason that I was saved, but Jesus is. Because if Jesus is the reason I'm saved, then everything relies upon him. But if I'm the reason that I'm saved, it relies upon me. As much as I want to love and honor God with my life, if I was responsible for my own salvation, I would screw it up. (laughs) And my wife can fully affirm and attest to that. And a lot of you who know me pretty well would attest to that as well. But if Jesus, if his life, if his crucifixion, if his burial and death and resurrection, if his work is what saves me, then it's already done for me. It's already finished. Paul shares this truth to remind Timothy of the beauty of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have been saved completely by God's mercy to me in Jesus Christ, and it is undeserved. I mean, look at, look at how, how Paul describes himself, right? This is how we know that, that my point that this grace is undeserved is true, right? Look at how he describes himself. He says that he was a blasphemer. He says that he was a persecutor. He says that he was an insolent opponent, which means that he was violent towards the gospel and towards the church. He says, Timothy, I was wicked. I I deserved nothing. I didn't deserve to be a church planner. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't deserve to have you as my spiritual child pointing you towards God. And yet I received mercy from God through Jesus Christ. Now you may be sitting there thinking like, well, wait a minute, why why does Paul share this? What, What is the point of him sharing his testimony to Timothy? Clearly, Timothy knows this about Paul already, right? I mean, I, ha- I find it hard to believe that Timothy had never heard Paul's testimony before. But think about it in the context of what we saw last week in 1 Timothy. Right? As Timothy is being encouraged, encouraged by Paul to remain faithful and to teach sound doctrine and to correct these false teachers, right? 
all of his insecurities are gonna pop up. You know, I could think about how I would feel. They're not gonna listen to me. They, they might even know more than me. It's gonna be really, really difficult. Paul, what you're asking me to do, I, I, I can't do it. I can't be that guy who is abrasive and pushes back on people. You know, I'm an Enneagram too. I just love everybody. I can't do anything. Right? And look at what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Timothy, in the same way that God showed me undeserved grace and radically transformed my life, he can do the same with these false teachers. Share the gospel with them. Lead them. They, like I was, are lost. Yet God chose me and rescued me, and he can choose and rescue them too. Right? He says, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Timothy, the false teachers may be doing the same thing. Mercy is a, a large theme of what we see in these verses that Paul shares with Timothy this morning. And it's because Paul seeks to remind Timothy of both the mercy that Paul had been shown in Jesus Christ, the mercy that Timothy had been shown in Jesus Christ, and, encouraged Tim, and he wants to encourage Timothy to display and show that same mercy to these false teachers. Because if we understand the undeserved grace and mercy of God, we will worship him because he is worthy. The encouragement to us as we read this together this morning is that God's grace and mercy are available to everyone in Christ Jesus. And that although we do nothing to earn that grace, it is undeserved, it's still given. That Paul's life reminds us that there is nothing too terrible, nothing too awful, no life lived in full rejection to God that could ever be more powerful than God's grace towards us. If you're listening this morning and you're in a rut, you're, you're struggling, life is hard, you're wrestling with sin, you're feeling unlovable, here's my encouragement to you. Turn to Jesus. There is nothing that you could do to separate yourself from his love because God is the one who saves. Now, not only does Paul show us that this grace is undeserved, he also shares with us that this grace is lavish, right? Or the word that the ESV uses here is overflowing. Right, let me read verses 14 and 15. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And you've probably heard me throwing that word grace out a lot this morning, and you, and you may not even know what it means. 
Um, it's defined in the dictionary as unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. Anybody confused yet after hearing that? After hearing that definition? Right, let me maybe boil that down a little bit for you. Right, it means that help is given that is unearned, that then declares you approved or uh, loved by God, at least in the, in the biblical sense, right? It is something that God gives to us that we do not earn so that we can be adopted as his children. And Paul describes that grace or that help that God gives or that favor that God gives as overflowing, right? As lavish, that, that, that God has so much grace to give him that Paul couldn't possibly contain all of it. It's almost as if he opened up his mouth to, to drink it in and he was drowning the moment he opened up his mouth, right? That that grace is so powerful, that God's love is so abundant, that that grace rescued him, that that grace empowered him to believe in Jesus by faith and love and that it empowers him to love and live to the glory of God. Church, this is an important teaching in scripture here that not only does God's grace save us and rescue us, but it also empowers believers in Jesus Christ to live out their lives as disciples. This is why Jesus promised the Holy Spirit back in the Gospels. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come alongside believers and dwell in them, empowering them to live lives that honor God. It's easy sometimes as Christians to know that we are shown mercy and forgiven because of God's grace. But Paul also wants Timothy to understand, and, and, and God wants us to understand, that God also empowers our lives by his grace, not our power and obedience. This means that no matter what you are walking through, no matter what you are struggling with, no matter what you are processing through, God can and will help you through it. Trust him. This is a, a difficult concept to understand because I think oftentimes as Christians, right, we, we, we view God in this plane. We think when, when we fully see our, our sin and our brokenness, we, reckon, we might recognize our need for Jesus. We, we might say, oh my gosh, like, okay, God's standard is the law and I can't meet that standard. And so I need Jesus to have done that in my place. And we, and we run to him, we cling to him. We have this mountaintop experience. We, we pray to accept Jesus into our hearts or all the things we did maybe at Christian camp growing up or, or somebody who led us to the Lord. We do all the, 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 the Christian things, right? In that moment where we have this beautiful realization that we have responded to the gospel. And then after that moment, we spend the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years of our lives viewing God's grace as the launching point of our Christian life. But then everything from then on out is completely dependent upon our own behavior and our own power. 
And that is not what scripture teaches us. Right, Paul is sharing with Timothy here. Look, Timothy, not only did God's grace radically transform and save me, but that grace is overflowing and lavish, so much so that it has completely transformed my life. It is still transforming my life, and it is empowering me to go forward from city to city, from place to place while being stoned, while being persecuted, while being yelled at, while being spit at, and preaching the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ again and again and again. And every time I've been rejected, every time I felt unworthy, Every time I felt unloved, every time I felt unfaithful, God's grace was there for me. God's grace was sufficient for me. Church, that is what God would have for us. Not a grace that starts the engine but grace that starts the engine, maintains the engine, fuels the engine, and helps the engine run better at the end of your life than the day it started. That is what God is capable of. And as he encourages Timothy in that, right, all of this going back to what he said back in verse three, right, encouraging him to remain and how the power behind Timothy's ability to remain is not in his own power, not in his understanding of doctrine, not in the teaching that he had been given, not being Paul's disciple, but in the grace of God and resting there. He shares with Timothy this phrase in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Right, by starting out that sentence by saying this, the saying is trustworthy. He's saying this to Timothy. Timothy, I know you've heard this a thousand times. I know this is a common saying. Don't grow tired of it. It's one of the reasons why probably if you've been a Christian for any length of time, right, people ask a question and you know the answer is Jesus, but whoever's teaching makes you say it anyway because it's never a bad thing to be reminded of the truth. And Tim, Paul says to Timothy, look, Timothy, right, remember this saying, right, remember this. It is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So simple, right? So simple. Yeah, think about the three things that are shared with us right there. Right? In that simple sentence, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Think about what is communicated there. Right? We see the incarnation. Right? Christ came into the world, right? Philippians chapter two, Paul shares more about that with us. Let me read that to you starting in verse five. He's, he spends the first couple of verses of chapter two of uh, the book to uh, the, the Philippians and Philippi, uh, encouraging them to treat one another as more important than themselves and to love one another well. This is what he says, hey, just esteem one another, just love one another, be unified, right? That's what he wants the church to do. And then look at what he says starting in verse five. 
Have this mindset, that mindset of unity and love towards one another. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's like, you've already got this. Jesus's grace has already bestowed the power to do this upon you. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. Right, this is what, what Paul shares there in Philippians chapter two and what he's sharing here in that little maxim in, in verse 15. Jesus emptied himself and came. And in his coming, right, he saved. Right, we see our need for redemption and how God answered that need by sending Jesus Christ to rescue us. And in sending Jesus Christ to rescue us, right, he reminds us of our dependence upon Jesus because he saved sinners. We are unable to rescue ourselves, but Jesus is able. Think, think about this, right? Paul is sharing this, this saying with Timothy that he's probably heard a thousand times. And he's like, Timothy, I think you're forgetting something as you're being overwhelmed by these false teachers. God loves you and we know that God loves you and loves his church and is empowering his church because God sent Christ Jesus into the world to save sinners. And then he adds this, of whom I am the foremost. Timothy, you can do this because God is able and his grace is lavish. Church, we can stand in the face of anything and be faithful to the glory of God because of God's grace towards us in Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that God put on human skin, saved the world, and that we are dependent upon him for being saved, not ourselves. We bring nothing to the table yet God chooses to save us. The gospel shares with us simultaneously one of the hardest truths in the world to swallow and yet one of the most beautiful truths in the world to accept. That our sin is far uglier and terrible than we would imagine but God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ is far more beautiful than we could dare imagine. For those of you guys that love the Reverend Tim Keller, you know that that is a paraphrase of something he has said many, many, many times. God's grace towards us, church, is undeserved. God's grace toward us is lavish, that God loves us so much in Jesus. Look at what he has given to us. And then, Paul's gonna finish by sharing with us that Jesus's grace toward us is our example. Look at verse 16 and 17. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, Jesus's grace towards me is an example. He says, I received mercy from God for this reason. God can save me. He can save the false teachers. He can save you too. And here is how I know. Because he says that Jesus Christ displayed his perfect patience as an example to those who believe. Remember earlier, right? God saves us. Right, God saved me. If you are a follower of Jesus listening this morning, God saved you, not because of you, but because of him. Right, God, God chooses to save us, not based upon our own performance, right, but because he chooses to love us. He chooses to redeem us. He chooses to find the unredeemable redeemable. He chooses to find the unlovable lovable. He chooses to find the unsavable savable. And he displays that love towards us by sending Jesus Christ to live, die, and rise again for us. And Paul says, I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, he says, Timothy, look, I just share with you my testimony. I received grace from God in Jesus Christ so that Jesus might display to me and to the world around me, his perfect patience. It's perfect. Notice how he doesn't use, he doesn't say Jesus's patience. He says Jesus's perfect patience. Right? All of us strive to, to live more like Jesus or to live good lives or live moral lives. Right? Paul says, look, Timothy, the only one who does that is Jesus. And he saves us, not so that we can become better people. That is a byproduct of it. But he saves us so that he might declare to the world his holiness, his goodness, his mercy, his patience, his love. And that that mercy he displays to us becomes an example to others, not for me, not for you, but for his glory. He says in verse 17, that this is for the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be the honor and glory forever and ever, amen. God saves his people for him, for his glory, for his honor, to the praise of his name. And you may be sitting there thinking, because I know when I first learned that the Bible teach that, taught that, you might ask yourself this question, what is that, does that 
then does that make God a narcissist? Right? Because I can't think of anything, uh, or, or, or I can think of very few things uh, more evil than narcissism. So does that, does that make God evil? Is God a narcissist? Is he evil? Does he only care about himself? And I would say this, right? What differentiates God from a narcissist is that he actually is as good as he believes he is and thinks he is, right? If you've ever known somebody who struggles with narcissistic tendencies, they believe they're the most important person in the world and everyone else around them is there for them. The the problem with that line of thinking in, in a narcissist is that we aren't. If, if I live my life in such a way that it wants everyone to serve me and honor me and bring me glory and honor and attention, the problem is, is one, I'm not worthy of those things, but two, none of the world is here for Kevin. The world's not here to make much of Kevin. I didn't create them. I don't provide for them. I don't do any of the things that would be worthy of worship and glory and honor and attention. Now, I might struggle with these things sometimes in my own heart, desiring people to want to follow me in this way, but I'm not actually worthy of it. The difference between myself and God is that God actually is worthy of worship. Right? Think about what Paul says is true of him there. He's the king of the ages, immortal, invisible. Right? He's saying God has always existed He has always ruled and he will never, ever fade away or be overthrown. Either it's true or it's not, but if it's true, he's worthy of worship and attention. He says he's invisible, the only God, and to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Jesus's Life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is God's proof to us, the church, that God loves us and cares for us. He put it on display as an example in the life of Jesus Christ. Not because we were worthy, right? Remember that first point that grace was undeserved but because he is worthy and it will cause us to respond and worship him. And he calls us as his church to participate and love him and love others just like Jesus did. To Timothy, the call to him is to love these false teachers even though they don't deserve it because Timothy was first loved by God and didn't deserve it. And for us this morning, as we listen to this reading from the word of God, as we listen to Paul's words to Timothy, God's word to us is this. Love your neighbor. Love your coworker. Love your spouse. Love your child. Love your family members. Love your friends. Show them undeserved grace and mercy because God first did that to you. And because Jesus did that for you, 
you are free to do that for others. And that undeserved grace that we display together as a church will ignite praise and worship of God all to his name and his glorious grace. Church, I love this passage because it is good news. Paul gives Timothy a correction and a charge in those first few verses, and then he immediately runs to the gospel because he knows Timothy needs it. And we need that same gospel some 2,000 years later. We need to be continually reminded that Jesus gives undeserved grace. That Jesus gives lavish grace that overflows, that is more than we could ever contain or hold on to. And that Jesus' grace is our example so that we might love others well. If you're struggling this morning as I share all this to understand why this is good news, just remember this. If we understand what Timothy is saying here, no one is beyond God's ability to save them and rescue them. Paul was saved by God's grace. These false teachers are able to be saved by God's grace. Your one is able to be saved by God's grace. And if you're listening this morning and you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and you're saying, Kevin, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life looks like. You don't know what my family background is. You don't know how I've spit in God's face, how I've denied him, how I've rejected him, how I've talked to other Christians, how I've treated them. Here's what I would say to you. You are not beyond God's grace because no one is. And I would encourage you this morning, as you listen to this, or if you're listening at a later time, respond to God's love and grace towards you in Jesus Christ. That God displayed his love for you so strongly that he wanted to rescue you so that you might worship him so much so that he did not even spare the life of his own son, but he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And then he rose again from the dead to offer you new life and adoption into God's family through Jesus Christ. Respond to that grace. Repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you for the things that you know are wrong and even for the things that you don't know are wrong. And ask God to change you. Trust that Jesus paid the penalty for your rebellion once and for all. And I can promise you this, scripture tells us that if you repent and believe upon Jesus by faith, you are saved. You are a part of God's family and you are his child. If you're listening and you are a Christian already, how should you respond? the same way that Paul tells Timothy to. 
worship. Worship Jesus because he is worthy. Worship Jesus by living a life sold out to his glory. By living out the grace that has been bestowed upon your life and sharing that as an example to others. In a moment, we're going to take communion. We do that every week at Aletheia Church. And the reason we do is that communion is an opportunity for us to respond to what we just heard in God's word. And as we respond to God's word, we can remember what Jesus has done for us. We can reflect on what we learned in the Bible this morning. And then we can confess and repent of any sins that we may be holding on to. And then as we confess and repent of those sins, we can turn to Jesus because communion is an opportunity to remember that Jesus gave his own flesh and blood for our sin. And we take communion not as an act of contrition, but as an act of worship because it is finished. It is paid for. Jesus has already given his life and risen from the dead. And we are no longer in bondage or slavery to sin because God has set us free through the blood of Christ. So we take communion this morning. Will you take that as time to reflect and respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that I, a filthy wretch and sinner, have been given undeserved grace, have been given lavish grace, and have been shown the example of how to live that grace out through Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for what he has rescued me from, and I thank you that he is going to continue to rescue and transform my life. That is the promise of Scripture that you are not done with me yet. And God, I pray for everyone listening to this message this morning, that they would know that truth as well, that they have been shown unmerited, undeserved grace by you in Jesus Christ, and that that grace continues and will sustain them all the days of their lives. And God, will you use that grace in us as a church, to love you and worship you all the days of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Amen.